So today, we're going to continue our study of the essentials. Can anyone tell me what are the six essentials of the Christian life? Six essentials. What are they? Yeah, so it's Bible study, worship, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, and service. Those are the six essentials for the Christian life. Now, how do we define what the essentials are? The essentials are the core biblical priorities that define every Christian's life. These actions, they strengthen our devotion of Jesus. They deepen our love for God and for other people. And they cause us to grow in personal holiness. Okay? Today we're going to cover the biblical priority of service and examine what service is by asking the weighty question of whom do we serve? Whom do we serve? Our theme verse for this evening comes from 1 Peter 4.10. Some of you might recognize that. I think that's part of your lesson verse. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We'll visit this verse a little bit later, but I want to ask you guys a couple of questions, okay? Now, you don't have to raise your hands, okay? Just think about this. But the first question is, have you ever served someone with the intention of receiving something in return? Have you ever served someone with the intention of receiving something in return? Think about this. Maybe you've taken the initiative to do one of your siblings' chores, right? Like maybe clear the table after dinner. So you, you go, you, you clean up the table for them, and, but afterwards you go find that sibling and you say, hey, look, little brother, little sister, I did that chore for you, so it's only right that you do the next month of chores for me, okay? Right? What about this? Have you ever offered to serve someone in hopes that you would get recognition or praise from, the, from others, from that person or from others? Have you ever offered to serve someone in hopes that you would get recognition or praises from others? You know, perhaps you've done a, a really kind act, like cleaning up or putting something back in its place, and so some of you may be guilty of this, you know, you're helping put dishes away, and so you're, you're clanging the pans a little bit louder so that, hey, mom, hey, hey, dad, look at what I'm doing. I'm I'm doing something, I'm being productive, I'm putting things back, right? Trying to see about receiving recognition or acclamation. Now, for being honest with ourselves, we could say we've all been guilty of seeking our own interests first, haven't we? We've been motivated to serve ourselves before serving anyone else. And when we examine what the root of us serving ourselves is, we find it's sinful pride, selfishness. So can someone truly say that they love the Lord Jesus Christ and yet seek to serve themselves first? Can we have two masters that we serve? In fact, Jesus taught that we cannot have two masters. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. 
And if you spent any time reading the Gospel of Matthew, you know that the setting here in chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of giving his Sermon on the Mount uh, to the disciples and to the, uh, the large crowd of people, and he's teaching them how they are to live for Christ. Look at, me, uh, look at verse 24 with me. It says this. Jesus says, no one can serve what? Two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and wealth. Now, I want you guys to place a bookmark there on that chapter. We're going to come back to that text later on. But I want you to see and understand what is being said here, okay? Jesus is saying here that we cannot be infatuated with the treasures and riches over him. We, we cannot serve idols of our hearts and serve him. No, he says we can only serve one master. And it's that that we're either serving him or we're serving our sin. You see, guys, we're all stewards of service. Each of us here, we have all been made servants. Is the screen coming on? There we go. So we are all made servants, right? We are all made to serve. So if we're all made to serve, how do you determine which master you serve? Which master do you serve? Well, well, we have to examine our motivations for service. This means we have to tonight do a open heart surgery on ourselves. We're going to become heart surgeons as we examine our, our hearts and ask ourselves the question, which master do I serve? Are you serving sin? Or are you serving the Savior? Let's consider the first master that you can serve, and that is serving your sin. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians writes about two motives to abstain from. Uh, that are marks of someone who is in love with themselves over loving Jesus. There are two motives that you are serving sin. So turn with me, if you will, to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to look at the first part of verse 3. Paul writes here, he says, Do nothing, do nothing from selfishness, or empty conceit. Okay, stop right there. He says, do nothing. Paul's giving a, a negative command to, to not be what? Selfish and empty conceit. He says, don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. Don't, don't be boastful in yourself. Consider that first sinful motive of someone who is serving sin. That is that they are selfish. They have a selfish ambition. What is self-ambition? Well, the Greek, the ancient Greek text meaning for the, for the word self-ambition means this. It says that the seeking of followers and adherents by means of gifts. What it is, it's a person who seeks personal advantage and gain regardless of the effects on others. 
Think about that. It's caring solely about yourself and no one else. It means that all, you want, all your wants and needs are, are far more important than everyone else's. It's being partial to people. It's like not serving someone or including someone in your friend group because you don't like that person or believe they bring no benefit to you or your friends. What are the effects of being self-centered? Well, you can become short-tempered, right? Become short-tempered with others. You Maybe leads to starting arguments with others as you grow angry and frustrated with them because, you know, they're, they're just not doing what you wanted them to do. You begin blaming others around you. I played baseball most of my young childhood and into my young adult life, and so I had the opportunity to play for lots of different teams. I got to play on teams that were really, really good, but I also got to play on teams that were really bad. You know, maybe some of you guys here have played sports or you're still playing sports, or maybe you just play games with your friends just for fun, and maybe you've experienced what I have as a young kid, and that's pistol fingers. If you don't know what pistol fingers are, I'll explain what that is. Pistol fingers is a selfish person's favorite thing to do. You see, when my team is doing really, really good, well, it's obvious it's because of me, right? That's the only reason the team's doing well. It's because of me. So, so you give yourself a, a thumbs up. Yeah, this team's doing awesome. You know, we're, we've got a winning streak going on. Well, it's this guy. I'm the one that's responsible for that. You know, but maybe the team's doing bad and you've got a little streak of, games that you've lost, you know, well, then you start pointing your fingers at the teammates or your friends, and you say, well, you guys are the problem, right? That's, you're the reason we can't win. Shifting the blame. That's pistol fingers. Good me, bad them. It's a selfish person's favorite gesture to make. See, when you serve your sinful desires like self-ambition, you don't care about serving others. You don't care about serving others. It's all about you and people serving you. Your pride and your self-centeredness stand at the root of this sin and, and are deeds of the flesh and are not from heaven. James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he understood the source and effects of selfish ambition. James 3, 14 through 16, James says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and what? Selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's what? It's, it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there are two things. There's disorder and every evil thing. James pretty much covers every aspect of sin there. 
Selfish ambition leads to disorder and every evil thing. He says self-serving is not from God. It's from Satan. It's evil, is what he says. And it disrupts your life, and it ruins you. So when you're too busy serving yourself and caring for your needs, and you sin against the holy God by doing that. In fact, you're guilty of exalting yourself really above God and making yourself more important than him. See, the first motive you are serving your sin, it's for self-ambition. But let's consider the second motive. Back in Philippians 2, 3, it says this, motivation for empty glory. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Don't serve for an empty gloria, an empty vein, Paul writes. Service and good deeds to gain recognition and acclaim from your leaders or your peers, that's empty conceit. That is an empty glory. Empty conceit is arrogant. It's boastful in oneself. It's prideful, taking all the credit. It's what the Bible calls being seen as wise in your own estimation. It's believing that your ideas are always better than everyone else's. It's a desire to be seen as better than others around you. So the question is, is that your motivation for why you serve? Is that the motivation for why you serve? Do you serve others at home or maybe at school or work so that you can receive praises for what you do? Are the accolades from man more important to you than receiving honor and glory from the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, maybe you serve in ministries here in the church for that sole reason, to gain recognition and favor from your parents or leaders or friends. See, it's hypocritical for us to believe that we're truly serving others if your motivation is skewed to serve your sin. Your motivation to serve is wrong because you've elected to serve the wrong motivator. See, Jesus warned against people seeking their own self-glory in the Bible. If you've saved that bookmark in Matthew 6, let's go back to it. Turn back to Matthew 6. Jesus, again, is teaching here to the apostles and the crowd. And he's teaching them of what the Pharisees are guilty of. Look at these, these striking examples that Jesus gives, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, stop pretending to be a righteous person. Stop being a fraudulent Christian in front of your friends and family because you do not have the reward of salvation from the Father. Father. 
Verse 2, he says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying, don't draw attention to yourself when you're serving or when you're giving. Don't give to the the poor and then pull out your cell phone and take a selfie with the person that you just gave food or money with to, and and you say, all right, I'm going to post this on social media. You know, I don't know what you kids use these days, Instagram, Snapchat, Be Real. You probably didn't know I knew about Be Real. But whatever social media you use, you post it on there just for the likes. But you could care less about the person you just gave food or money to. Jesus says, that makes you a hypocrite. Verse 5, he says, when you pray, you're, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corner so that they may be seen by men. He says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So even in prayer, we can be guilty of drawing attention to ourselves for personal glory. You know, when you pray in a group setting, are you too busy thinking about how you're going to outdo the person that just prayed before you? You know, maybe throw in some big fancy words that you have no idea what they mean. On in verse 16, he talks about whenever you fast. He says, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. This is obviously a different time then. We probably wouldn't do that today where we would let ourselves go to make it seem like we're gloomy, you know. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. He says, Giving to the poor, praying, fasting, these are all acts of worship that should be rendered to God. And yet they become acts of self-righteousness so that we would be the recipients of praises and glory. See, guys, when you're motivated to live for yourself, you begin to believe that picture it was up there. I don't know if it's up there now, but a picture of, imagine this, this sun standing in the middle. There it is. You become like this picture, right, where you're standing at the center and, and the world and everything else revolves around you. We become just like that. We stand at the center and we become just like the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees, they loved being held in such a high regard. They loved being the noble men that roamed the streets. They, they were motivated for attention, motivated to receive personal glory, motivated by their piety and to be seen as better than the rest of the bunch. And when the first sign of all that had been, uh, had been threatened by Jesus, what did they do? all that they had worked for, when all that was being threatened, what did they do? 
They sought to kill Jesus. They sought to kill Jesus. Sin has that effect. You know, it starts out trying to receive maybe just acclaim or accolades, you know, at home or with your friends. And sin has a way of billowing and extending out further and further into other sins. Selfish ambition and empty glory are not just two motives of someone who is a servant of sin, but they're also the marks of someone who is spiritually dead. A verse that you all are sure well well versed in, Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is what? Death. There's a Puritan by the name of John Maynard Wrote, wrote this really great book on truth. He says this about conceitedness and its effects. He says this, if, quote, he says, if you please yourselves in your own conceits and vain imaginations that are contrary to the wisdom of Christ, believe that it is an easy thing to go to heaven and that you hope to be saved in the end. Although you are carried with the stream of the world, the tide of your lusts, the wind of Satan's suggestions and applause of the multitude, assure yourselves that you are rebels against Christ and are on the path to eternal destruction. See, man, if you're motivated by these motives, these selfish ambitions, uh, and to gain an empty glory, well, the result is this. It's eternal death. Eternal death is what awaits you at the judgment of God. Well, we've learned what the two motivations are of someone that serves sin. They're motivated by self-ambition and empty conceit, but let's look on the other side of the coin. Let's now consider the character of someone that serves the Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn back to Philippians 2 with me. And look at what Paul says in the last part of verse 3 and into verse 4. Paul says this. He says, but with humility of mind. I want you, if you've got a pen or a pencil and you write in your, your Bibles, underline that. Humility of mind. He says, with this humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul's giving a clear command for us here. He's saying, put off sinful motivations like selfishness and empty conceit and calls for us to put on the righteous trait of humility. See, that humility of mind, it's uh, the absolute opposite of self-centeredness. You know, it's serving your siblings by helping them out with their chores and not expecting anything in return. It's encouraging your teammates, even if they're not playing so great. It's regarding others more important than yourselves. 
See, humility of mind, it's, it's the foundation of Christian service in the church. We can't serve in the church if we do not first have this humility. And the great news is, man, is that we don't have to imagine what that model of humility looks like. We just simply have to turn our eyes to Christ. Look at the perfect example, the, the perfect model of humility. Look down at Philippians 2, verse 5. Look what, what, look what Paul writes about Christ. He says Christ performs this ultimate act of humility. He says this, verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I mean, think about this for a minute, guys. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, willingly comes to this earth to put on flesh and become the incarnate Christ. He becomes human like you and I, and so willingly he comes to this earth where there is absolute destruction and, and pain and suffering, and yet he still chooses to come. And not only does he become a man and dwells on this earth, but he lives his life perfectly for over 30 years. He, he never sins once. And what was it all for? What was it all for? It was for his divine purpose to go to the cross and be put to death for your sins and mine. That is the ultimate act of humility. And Paul says, have this attitude, have this humility in yourselves. Christ, the Son of Man, Son of God, He did not come to be served, but came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. There's three things we can see here in this these verses, verses 5 through 8, we see how the humility is modeled by Jesus. We see it in three ways. It's, it's done willingly. It's done sacrificially. And it's done obediently. There's a willingness to serve. He does it sacrificially by giving up himself as a sin offering. And he does it in complete obedience to God the Father. And why? Why would he do this? Why would Christ leave the throne of heaven to come and do what he has done? It's because he loves us. See, love is that foundation of humility that humility builds its house on. I mean, consider even those that serve you here in youth, your leaders. Your leaders here, they, they serve you guys each and every Sunday and Wednesday and outside of those days. They've committed themselves 
to serving you with the same attitude that was in Christ. They're serving you willingly, sacrificially, obediently. And why? Why would they do that? Why would they take time out of their week to come and serve you? Because of their love for God and the outpouring of love for you. That's the attitude we must have as believers when we consider the essential of service. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, did you know you've been given not only the gift of grace and salvation, but you've been given a special giftedness to serve. All Christians have been given a gift to serve the body. Turn back to 1 Peter 4.10. This was our theme verse for this lesson. 1 Peter 4.10. Peter writes this. He says this. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you've turned away from your sins and you call Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then you, just like me, have been given a tremendous giftedness to serve. And so there's a, a multitude of gifts that God grants to believers. There's a list up there that shows some of them. I don't know if you can make that out really well, but there are some gifts that are marked in red. Why do you think those are marked in red? Owen? Because no, they're, they're temporary gifts, right? Those, those gifts are no longer necessary now that the, the canon of the Bible is closed. When John, the, the last apostle, passed, there was no reason for additional revelation, right? So there, there are some giftedness that no longer exist, but the ones in black, which you can find these online on our church website, there are some in black that are marked there. Those are permanent gifts, so there's a multitude of uh, a various array of gifts that God has given and still gives to, to believers. So you can see that those are marked there. And so, you know, the, the, the gifts that we see that we have today, the permanent gifts, know that God grants each of us individually pertaining to his will. Each of us have some of the same gifts, Maybe we have different gifts from one another. Why do you think that is? Why would God grant each believer in the church with different giftedness? Well, think about this. What if you're watching the, the best NFL team that's ever existed, the Dallas Cowboys, right? I know a lot of you are Dallas Cowboys fans, especially Michael. Maybe you're watching the Dallas Cowboys on TV, right? And you, you see the offense come up to the line and well, they got 11 quarterbacks. Well, that's a bit strange, right? Do you think that they would be able to do well if they had a 11 quarterbacks playing on the line? Would they be able to score enough points to win the game? Now, if all 11 were Dak Prescott, maybe, but reality is probably not, all right? Probably not. See, it, it, it only works when you have the right people in the right place. You know, think about that. I mean, the big guys on the front line would tear through those quarterbacks on the front line. 
You know, the, the quarterbacks aren't fast enough to, to be running backs. They're not tall enough to be wide receivers. The team is built together with different talents and skills that when working together, they do well. And the same principle applies in the church. God grants us giftedness to serve each other. And Peter says, employ this service saying minister to others in this way. See, when we exercise this giftedness in the church according to what each person has been given, we see the church function together like a clock. Some of you guys have seen the workings of a, of a clock. It's said, and I got this off the internet, so it's got to be true, but there's over 140 to 200 different components and parts that fit and work together for the watch to tell time. That means a watchmaker must carefully place each cog and spring and screw in the proper place to work together and make the watch operate. It's pretty remarkable. And yet that's exactly what our Lord has done. He's given each believer a, a role of service in the church. Our service, it benefits others, and we benefit from them. And what is the purpose for? Why would God give this giftedness to each of us pertaining to his will? Why, why would be the purpose for that? Well, we don't have to look very far. Just look at verse 11. It says, 1 uh, Peter 4:11. whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, if you're gifted with teaching. He says, but whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Here's the reason. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. We serve one another in the church for that sole reason. So that in all things... God would be glorified through his Son, Jesus Christ. Think with me through this for a minute. You know, when we use our giftedness to serve one another in the church, we're, we're not just simply serving the body of Christ, but we're serving the Lord Jesus. You know, if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, what are some ways that you can start serving. Well, consider the list on the screen as a good starting point. Well, first you can start by serving your family, you know, serve your parents, and serve your siblings. And maybe that means that you're getting up early to mow the lawn for dad or, or you're helping mom with cleaning the house even if you're not asked to. And maybe it means you're helping your brother or your sister with their chores or Maybe it means driving them to school or driving them to practice. Serve your peers, your teammates, your schoolmates. Show them the humility of Christ by serving them. You know, if you're just out tossing the football around, you know, include the kids that you wouldn't normally have included in your group before. Don't be partial to just your close friends. And lastly, they're serving in the church. 
Now, it's obviously it's important for you guys to understand that there are some qualifications you must have if you're to serve in the church, specifically here in high school. Some of those requirements are, in order to serve, it's important that you have placed your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to be growing in your sanctification. There should be clear indications that there's patterns of righteousness in your life. You need to have an overall respectful and obedient attitude towards authority. Your motivation for serving must be Christ-centered. It can't be self-centered, self-motivated, or self-ambition. It's not self-driven. It's Christ-centered. You must be committed to regularly attending both main church and coming to high school on Sundays and Wednesdays. So if you meet those qualifications, then you or a parent can assist you with filling out the youth volunteer application that you can find on the church website. And as you can see, there are quite a few different ministry opportunities that you can serve in here. There's the A-team, um, which I'm sure Edwin and Dale would love to have you on, on the A-team to help out with that. The music team, of course, auditions are required for that. I could never try out for a music team because I am terrible at playing music. Now, if you give me a kazoo, I could probably keep a tune. Ushers, snacks, that's probably the thing I would sign up for is the snacks. I love snacks. Nursery team, Awana, VBS. I mean, think about serving in those ministries and those young kids that you serve. They look to you as the examples of Christ. You are the models to those young generations of what Christ-like service is. AVO cameras and even facilities volunteers. That's not a shameless plug just because I work for facilities. So as you can see, there's a number of different opportunities to serve here in the church, to serve the body of Christ. And when you serve in the church in a Christ-like manner, remember, you're serving not just the individual, you're serving the Lord. So as we get ready to conclude our time for this evening, I want you all to reevaluate again your your heart motives, and ask yourselves again, who do I serve? Who do I serve? If I can only serve one master, as Jesus has said in Matthew 6, which master have I chosen to serve? Are you serving your sin? Is the motive for why you serve others, is it for a self-ambition for personal glory? If it is, know that God is opposed to the proud. And one day, God will humble you. That same text in Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11, Paul writes this, For this reason also God highly exalted him, meaning Christ, and bestowed on Christ the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, 
Every knee will bow. Not some knees, not some knees in some nations. He says, no, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be humbled. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you know that these motivations, the self-ambition and conceitedness, these have been your motives. You know that you've been guilty of serving yourself first and, and you find no gratification in that. Well, the good news is that we've been set free from the bondage of sin. How have we been set free? It's by the blood of Christ. Because Jesus willingly came to this earth, sacrificially gave his life, and did so in obedience to God the Father. Why? Why would he do this? Because he loves us. Christ says, repent and believe in me. You know, for some of you in this room, you've placed your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus, and praise God for that. I rejoice in knowing that truth, that you are a believer saved by the grace of God. But maybe you're wondering, you know, Sonny, what do I do? How do I, you know, I am a believer. How do I jump in and start serving? Well, guess what? Just start serving somewhere. You know, don't be like the Thessalonians who, after they were saved, were just hanging out waiting for Jesus to come back. Don't be that person. Be active in serving one another, serving in the church, serving the body. Be active in loving one another and exercising the biblical essentials with other Christian brothers and sisters. Be a model of servant-heartedness. Serve with that humility of mind we talked about. Do it willingly sacrificially and obediently, for what purpose? Why do we do what we do? So that God the Father would be glorified through his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to be the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just in awe of you, Lord. You are such a great and good God, and Lord, we are so undeserving of the good gifts that you give us, the gift of salvation, the, the giftedness to serve the body. Lord, we're so thankful that you have redeemed us through the blood of your Son. Father, I pray for those here this evening who are still serving their sin. Lord, that they would be softened to, to know this truth, Lord, that there is only one true master whom we should serve, and that is your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, and for those that are here this evening that have put their hope and trust in your Son, Lord, we give praise for that, Lord. And we just pray that the years that come, Lord, they would get to know and, and understand their giftedness and how they should serve the body, Lord, in serving you and serving it in the way that is with humility, with love, with compassion. 
so that you alone, Lord, would receive all the glory and honor. We thank you again for this evening. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.